right, this is going to be at least a two-part series. I'm going to start today. Next week, we have a special deal going on that I'm excited about, but I'm not going to tell you about all that right now. You just have to come and check it out. So I will not be continuing next Sunday, but the Sunday after. So um, I hate to leave you in two-week anticipation, but that's what we're going to have to do this time. But we have a, uh, uh, an incredible service next week of, some, of commissioning. I will be part of that commissioning, by the way. So y'all need to come here and see that. It's going to be good stuff. But anyway, I'm going to talk today. The name of my sermon, the title of the sermon is called Inception. Inception. Has anybody seen, not conception. <laughs> come on, Han, now. <laughs> no, Inception. You know, it's funny, as I've been working on this, I, I keep wanting to say that, and I have to make sure that I don't say that. So if I accidentally say that, then I'm saying Inception. And I don't even know if it's a real term or not, but it came from a movie. Anybody seen that movie? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie called Inception. Okay, some of you have, most of you haven't. Interesting movie. And this sermon is, is kind of based on a concept out of that movie, so I'm going to kind of give you some background on what that movie was about. In the movie, there's a man named Dominique Cobb who has the unique ability to go inside a person's subconscious through their dreams and extract information. Steal secrets. And so he became a very hot commodity by these corporations that would hire him to go inside the subconscious of their competitors, steal their secrets, and then get the advantage in their corporations. Okay, now this is a movie, remember, okay? This is a movie. And so uh, now because of his illegal activities, he got in trouble with the law. And he was no allowed a longer to return to the United States where his children lived. Now, his wife passed away. He had children, and they were in the United States. And he could not return to the United States to be with his kids because of his, his illegal activities. And so he was torn by not being able to see his kids. And so this man, who uh, this business owner named Saito, had a proposition that he wanted to offer Cobb. He wanted Cobb to enter, enter the mind of a man named Robert Fisher, Jr., who was about to inherit his father's massive business empire. And he wanted him, instead of to do extraction, he wanted him to participate in something that was called inception. And what he wanted Cobb to do was to plant an idea in this man's subconscious to dispel or sell off his father's corporation. Because this man had a big empire and was taking over the uh, energy industry and everything. And this guy was a competitor and he was about to be wiped out. So he thought, if this man will dispel or disband his corporation, then he'll have a chance. So he hired Cobb to do this task. And inception is to plant an idea into someone's subconscious that if accepted, if the idea is accepted, they will embrace it and it will become their reality. It will become their reality. So he wanted to plant this idea into this man's mind that when he gets his father's corporation, because his father was passing away, he was sick and about to pass away, he's about to come into this inheritance. And so they wanted him, when he got the inheritance, to disband the company. That was the idea that they wanted plant, planted inside his head. And if he accepted that idea, then it would be a reality, and then it would happen. Now, in exchange, if, because uh, this was very dangerous, obviously, in, in exchange for Cobb agreeing to do this, then this man, Saito, supposedly had the ability to make everything clean so that uh, 
Cobb could go home to his kids. So do this job for me, and you get to go home and have your kids go be with your kids again. And so Cobb accepts the challenge, and then the movie's about what happens, and I'm not going to tell you actually what happens because you might want to see it, so I'm going to try not to spoil it too much for you, but I won't tell you if they were successful or not and what happened. Very fascinating movie. Very fascinating movie. So again, his goal was to, um, to participate in what's called inception, which, which is to plant an idea into someone's subconscious that if, it, if accepted, they will embrace it and it will become their reality. Now, some people were trained, and I believe they were even trained by Cobb, they were trained against this type of invasion. And by the way, I don't know if I, if I mentioned this or not, but how he would go into people's subconscious is through their dreams. And so when a person was sleeping, and what, what they did is they kind of kidnapped this man without him knowing he was kidnapped. He was flying on a plane, and the guy bought the plane. He bought the, actually, he bought the whole airline. <laughs> so they had this guy on a plane, and he didn't realize that he was surrounded by all these people who, were, who had kind of kidnapped him. So, and they slip a, a drug in his drink, and they knock him out. So he's out for several hours. I believe 10 hours is the, is the time frame. And so the people around him, they go into his dream or his dreams, and they begin to plant this idea. That's, the, that's their idea. So, uh, so they go into people's dreams. Now, some people were trained against this type of espionage, against this type, so that if, someone, if you were trained and if someone tried to go into, like, let's say, Lisa's subconscious and plant these ideas or extract information, secrets or whatever, and if she was trained, then her subconscious would begin to fight off those ideas. And in the movie, it looks like it's people. Like when they went into this guy's dreams, the moment they entered his dreams, all of a sudden, they come to the realization of these people shooting at them. Machine guns going off, cars slamming into them, and they're like, what's going on? And they realize that the guy was fighting against them. He had been trained in his subconscious to resist this type of infiltration. Okay, so you with me so far? I know this sounds kind of crazy, but just bear with me. Now, uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up is as I'd watched this movie years ago, and then I watched it again fairly recently, and I was at home a few weeks ago minding my own business and working on a project, and the Holy Spirit began to talk to me, and he reminded me, he says, remember that movie, Inception? It's like, yeah. He said, do you realize that that's a kingdom concept? It's like, what? What are you talking about? He said, that's a kingdom truth, a kingdom concept. I'm like, ah, what do you mean by that? And then he started giving me scriptures showing me. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that that was a Christian movie, okay? Do not misunderstand. But the concept of that is a kingdom principle that we're about to talk about. And so he was showing me that this is a kingdom concept. And he gave me an example. And he said Gideon was an example. So let's turn to Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 11. We're going to see this example. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, background, we know that the Midianites are, are, are oppressing the children of Israel. They're, they're wearing them out. They're destroying them. They're stealing. Their, every time they grow produce or grow food, they come and wipe it out and steal it and everything. So... Apparently, Gideon has a little bit of wheat, and he's hiding in the wine press and trying to beat it out to have some food. 
So this man is scared and he's hiding out. Okay, that's the picture. And then verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Or in other translations it says, O mighty man of valor. What translation am I reading? Oh, that's the New King James. I'm reading the wrong translation. Excuse me for a second. I was thinking, how come it's not lining up with what I'm saying? All right. Back to pushing buttons. Okay, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of valor. So this is the angel of the Lord. He's coming to a man who is hiding in the wine press, beating out wheat, and he says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, in other words, if that's true, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So here's what's going on. Here's a man hiding. The Lord comes to him and says, O mighty man of valor, inception just happened. An idea from the Lord has been planted inside this man. Mighty man. The Lord's reality to Gideon is, you are a mighty man of valor. And he even says, you have the strength. The strength that I've given you. Go in the strength that you have. And then he says, verse 8, 16, And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. So the Lord is speaking a reality as though it already happened. Mighty man of valor. You have the ability, and you shall prevail. And Gideon's like, what? Dude, I'm just trying to find me some wheat so I can make a sandwich. And you're telling me, he's like, and when he starts to tell him this, what does he do? What happens? What happens? Inception happens. The idea, the reality of God coming to this man. But see, Gideon's been trained. He's been trained to block, whoops, he's been trained to block the ideas that are trying to come into him. And what does he say? Excuses. I'm too insignificant. Our clan is the weakest, and not only is our clan the weakest, but I'm the youngest in my father's house. And by the way, how can I believe that you're even with us? Let me look at all this bad stuff that's happening. Because if you were with us, all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening. So Gideon was trained in the art of deflection. And he's deflecting the truth. Lord says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. But when inception is successful, what happens? The idea is planted, and it begins to work. It begins to work in the person. Verse 17, then he said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk to me. 
Do not depart from here, I pray unto you, until I bring out my offering and set it before you. In other words, he's saying, hmm, God, if this is you, then would you do me this favor? Don't leave, but wait till I bring out an offering. And the Lord says, okay, go ahead and do it. So he goes and he prepares some food. He comes back. The Lord accepts the offering, and then the Lord vanishes in the midst of the offering. And then verse 22 Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he realized, Oh no, I've just seen God. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Forget about the fact that God just said, You're going to go and do this. He's like, I'm going to die. Because they knew or was told that you could not see the face of God unless you die. So if you saw the face of God, you were going to die. So he knew he was about to die. And then the Lord said, verse 23, Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. It's like, whew. To this day, it is still an Oprah of the Abizarites. Okay, now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear it down to the altar of Baal and his father. So the Lord gives him an assignment. He says, okay, your father has idols. I want you to go and tear the idols down. Tear the idols down. In verse 27, so Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had told them. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So check this out. First of all, God says, oh, mighty man of valor, this is what's going to happen. You got this. And Gideon said, are you kidding me? I'm too young. I'm too insignificant. No, I don't. So there's the deflection. But then he's like, "Mm, okay, if this is you, God, then would you do this? And God honored that. And so he realized, oh, God, it's you. And then God said, it's okay, you're not going to die. Then he gives him an assignment. Now, remember the big picture is he's going to deliver Israel from the the Midianites, all this vast army. But he gives him a, a small assignment. He says, go and tear down your father's idols. He says, okay. And because he was afraid to do it in the daytime, he did it at night, which apparently was okay. He still did it. But then after that, he got found out, and the people wanted to kill him. And so, but his father said, you know what? Why are you guys contending for Baal? I mean, if Baal is upset with this, let Baal take care of it. You know, so God's like, he's like, are you guys going to contend for Baal? So his father was able to talk the men out of killing Gideon. But he accomplished the task that the Lord gave him. Remember, fearful, insignificant, too young. But he starts, he believes that God is with him all of a sudden. And then the Lord gives him instruction and he begins to walk it out. Begins to walk it out. Oops, lost my place. Okay. Verse 33, then all the Midianites and the Malachites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to these places, and they came up to meet him. So all of a sudden, Gideon's getting confident. And he begins to blow the trumpet to rally the troops. And then so Gideon said to God, verse 36, if you, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. So he said, okay, God, 
I'm still a little scared. If this is you, if you're going to do this, then would you do this for me? And that's where we get the story of the fleece. And he actually asks them to do it twice. First he says, okay, if it's you, have the fleece be wet and let the ground be dry and vice versa. And I might be getting it backwards. But basically he did a miracle twice. He honored his request. He honored, God honored Gideon's request to reveal more of God to himself. Partnership. See, God, can't God just, he sees the Amalekites or the Midianites and all them, can he just snap his fingers and wipe them out? I mean, can't God do that? But he didn't, did he? Do you think, you remember the battle of Jericho? You know, Joshua fought the battle of the Jericho. Anyway, remember that story? And it says, and the walls came tumbling down. Anyway, memories from childhood. But you remember that story, right? Do you think, remember God said, okay, march around seven times, or, you know, march around it, seven, and at the end, seven times, blow the trumpets and all that kind of stuff, then the walls came down. Do you think that if they would not have marched around Jericho, that the walls would have ever come down? You ever thought of that? I don't think it would have happened. Now, of course, I can't prove that because it's just speculation because the story's already been told. Partnership. God says, you do your part, I'll do mine. Come into an agreement, partnership. And so obedience, they walked around, they did their thing, they weren't allowed to talk and all that kind of thing. And then God did the miraculous. Gideon, I want you to do this. He invited him into partnership and he allowed him as a friend to even... Okay, God, if this is you, then would you do this? And God didn't take issue with that. And Gideon was, God was revealing himself to this man more and more and more. They were walking together in agreement. He was calling Gideon out. So the signs of the fleece. All right. Next place. Whoops. Got to be careful with these buttons. Then uh, Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped inside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So 32,000 men gathered with Gideon to fight this battle. Now they were still vastly outnumbered. Vastly outnumbered. And God said, can't do that. Too big. So we know the story. God whittles it all the way down to 300. 300 men. Because God was wanting these people to realize, okay, I'm the one. I'm using you guys. I'm partnering with you guys. But I'm the one that's actually doing this. He didn't want them to have any mistake. Did we do this or did God do this? I'm not sure. God says, we're going to make sure that there's no confusion. None whatsoever. Whittle it all the way down to 300 men. And so, uh, let's see. Verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord, oh, excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 7. Happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he said, Okay, I want you to take them out. But if you're afraid, then here's what I'll let you do. Go down and listen. I want you to go down here and listen to these guys, what they're saying. And after you hear what they're saying, you will be, in, you will be encouraged. 
So God still provided for the fear that he was dealing with. You know, when you begin to move and act out courageously, that doesn't mean there's an absence of fear. That is not what that means. Courage is doing something despite the fear. It's moving over the fear, stepping over the fear, and moving right into the face of danger or the enemy or whatever the assignment is that you're, you're moving for. You know, when our armed forces, when they go to fight battles in Iraq or wherever, I don't think any of them would tell you unless they're just crazy, but I think all of them deal with fear. But they still act courageously. They still move in courage. I mean, if you didn't have any fear, then that, you'd be called a robot, Right? see, strengthen. Then he went down, verse 11-ish. Yeah, second half of verse 11. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore. And when Gideon came down, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Now, this is crazy right here. Guy has a dream about a loaf of bread coming down and knocking down a tent. Okay, could you please give me the interpretation of that dream? Oh, here's the interpretation. Now, these are Midianites. These people do not have any covenant with God whatsoever, right? They are outside his covenant. Verse 14, then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash. How in the world did they know who who Gideon was? Think about it. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Are you kidding me? Mr. Insignificant, too young, smallest clan, and the enemies know his name. Like, what? I mean, that's crazy. A loaf of bread, knocks a tent over. Oh, interpretation. Gideon's coming to get us. God was definitely with him. I mean, the supernatural was all over the place with him. And then, and so when Gideon heard this, verse 15, and the dream and its interpretation, and he worshiped God, he worshiped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet to every man, etc., etc., etc. Verse 19, so Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp. Uh, Verse 20, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and every man stood in his place all around the camp. So we see that the the Lord gives them a strategy, has to do with with candles and jars and trumpets. Now remember, Gideon's with 300 men, and he's going against thousands and thousands and thousands. And they do their thing, the men flee, they start turning on each other, the bad guys, they wipe each other out. And then Gideon and his 300 men begin to pursue the enemy. It's one thing for the enemy to leave, you know, with their tail between their legs, they're running away, yipe, 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 and Gideon says, and don't come back. But it says Gideon and, and the men chased after them. They chased after them. 
And then it goes on and on. And then Gideon wipes out all the bad guys. They capture the kings. And it says one place there was 120-something thousand of them hiding in this one place. Gideon, they wiped them all out. Captured the kings, killed them. And then the men said, I don't know where it's at. It's somewhere in there. The men were asking Gideon. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Oh, verse 22 of chapter 8. So after the victory is won, Gideon has wiped out all the bad guys, him and his men, his 300 men. Verse 22, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son, the Lord shall rule over you. The Lord shall be your king, your, your ruler. Remember, beginning of the story, hiding in the wine press, a mighty man of valor. He looked nothing like a mighty man of valor. At the end of the story, he looked everything like a mighty man of valor. When the word was spoken to him, did he believe it? No way. Matter of fact, deflection, excuses. I'm no good, I'm too young. My family's, to, you know, all this kind of stuff, insignificant, insignificant, excuse, excuse, excuse. I'm not good enough. God heard those, and God has the art of deflection. You know, all these excuses. He said, it's all right, son. And he walked him through this process, and then at the end of the story, Gideon is the mighty man of valor. Now, was he the mighty, was he the mighty man of valor at the end of the story or at the beginning of the story? At the beginning of the story. God already saw. He says, this is what's going to happen. I'm calling you out. Will you join me? First Gideon said no, but then he, you know, it's like God was saying, come on, son. And, and he allowed Gideon to work through his issues, his fears, his insignificance, his all that stuff. He said, okay, that's okay, son. And then look what he became. Mighty man that God had called him out in the beginning. And that's when the Lord showed me. See that? Inception, kingdom principle, kingdom principle. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. He's inviting us to be transformed. If he's inviting us to do that, if he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed, then we have a choice to either conform or be transformed. We have a choice. God does not automatically transform us. In other words, when we're born again, the Bible says, the old has passed away, the new has come, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Remember that? See, our spirit is taken care of in that moment. We are born again, the spirit of God comes to dwell inside our spirit, we are born again, a new creation. That part is sealed and done and taken care of. However, there is a sanctification process where our soul, our mind, will, and emotions is still left. And that's what he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, as I've been talking about healing for the last number of weeks, and at one point in time, I, I talked about, early on, I talked about um, doubt and unbelief. 
That's a major factor in receiving the goods, the, the resources that God has for us. Remember that? I talked about doubt and unbelief. I felt like the Lord showed me something. He says, you know, doubt and unbelief is something, but the bigger issue is your mind being renewed. See, if I sit there and try to challenge you, quit doubting, quit being in unbelief. Come on, you got to get in faith. you got to get in belief. And I'm dealing with that. That's going to be a big struggle. If your mindset is changed, that deals with a lot of it. Deals with a whole lot of the issues. Dealing with the mindset dispels a lot of the doubt and unbelief. Because see, over here, when our mindset is the way it is, we're trying to talk ourselves and we're trying to believe something. We're trying to agree. But when my mind has been transformed and my thinking has been changed, then I think differently. And then when it comes to the provision of God, when it comes to the things that he says, it's like, oh, really? Okay. When we read John 15, verse 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so, so will you be my disciples. And I'm going to read it out of an expanded version. Verse 7, it says, If you maintain a living communion with me, and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. Jesus is inviting us into the type of relationship, because in the same passage, well, around the same place, 14, 15, 16 of John, he says, I no longer call you slaves or servants, but friends. For a slave does not know what a master is thinking or doing, but a friend does. John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works or miracles that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Check this out. And whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus talking to us. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, and in case we didn't get it the first time, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Abide in me. My word lives at home in you. Ask whatever you desire. I command you to ask what you wish for yourself, and it shall be done. Right here, Jesus says, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, see, as I'm reading these verses and sharing these verses, many of us have heard these before, but you know what's happening right now in your thinking? The art of deflection. Inception's trying to happen, and you're blocking it. See, because when, when we hear these verses, abide in me, my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. He said what you desire, you wish, and it shall be done for you. What do we do? Say, well, but. Well, that actually means. Well, he didn't actually mean. Well, and we say all these excuses. And what we do is we pull his word down to our reality and our experience instead of us saying, Lord, help me to come up to your experience. And see, something's happening in some of you right now as I'm sharing this, because what I'm sharing with you is God's invitation to you. We're not just talking about healing, although that is a huge part, and we want that. But we're talking about the bread, the, the banquet, the feast 
that he's made available through his blood. And he's saying, sons and daughters, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you my friends because I want you to know what I'm doing. And I want to partner with you to see my kingdom advanced and expanded. Ask what you desire, and it shall be done. And you say, well, you don't know my past. Block that one. I've made way too many mistakes. Too young. All this deflection. If you knew what I struggled with, if you knew what I did last night, if you knew how bad I treated my kids, if you knew, if you knew, if you knew, excuse, 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 I'm a nobody, I'm too young, I'm too old. God, if you're with me, then why did this stuff happen? I mean, if God really loves me, then why did all this stuff happen? Why did I lose my child? Or why did I, my mom die in that tragic accident? Or why, 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 why? And we're hiding behind all these excuses and this stuff. And Jesus is saying, come on. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. I have so much for you. Mark 11, 23, 24. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Is anybody getting this? If we're not, that's okay. I just want to encourage you to stay open. Say, God, what are you inviting me to? See, Jesus is saying, I want to invite you as a friend. And we're saying, I'm unworthy. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Jesus didn't call you a sinner saved by grace. Paul doesn't call the saints sinners saved by grace. He says saints. Jesus is saying friend. He didn't say, hey, you saved by grace, you sinner, you. He says, friend, friend, joint heir, righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's calling you. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. When the transformation happens by the renewing of our mind, When we renew our mind, the transformation happens. These kinds of passages, not only will we begin to agree with, we will begin to walk them out. We will first realize, you know what, this is for me. Because my king made this available to me. And your thought process will begin to change. And it's not, well, does God want this? It'll change to, God, how do I get this? Do you want me to have this to... Here I am, Lord. Our thought process will change. When I shared a couple of weeks ago or whenever that was about being in Africa and Joash invited us over and he wanted to do a medical ministry clinic and hundred, I think 1,500 people, I can't remember, something like that, throughout the week we got to minister to. And this was on Joash's heart to do. And we sent mega bucks over there to do that, bought all this medicine for the people and paid for, I mean, this whole thing, I can't remember how much it cost, but it was pretty significant. But he tried this a time before, and it didn't work because it was during the rainy season, and the rain rained them out, just washed them out. And he was frustrated. 
And we went during the rainy season, because that's when the time worked out. But see, our thought process was different. Not that we're better than Jewish. Our thought process, the team that went down there, was different. We believe that our king wanted us, was sending us to do this service for our brother, to come alongside and serve him because he wanted to serve his people. And so we said, brother, we want to come and serve you. So our thought process said, okay, it's rainy season. It rains every day. That's not compatible with what we believe God wants to do this week. So rain, no. That's what we said. We declared that. Cornell let it out. He declared that in front of the people, not behind closed doors. We agreed this needs to be in front of the people. So we were taking a risk. We were going to look like idiots or something wonderful was going to happen. You know, a lot of times we don't see the miraculous happen because we're not willing to lay down our reputation. Because it's like, well, how's this going to make me look? And a lot of times we camouflage that with, well, God, I'm concerned about how, what they'll think about you if it doesn't happen. We're trying to protect God's reputation. I think he's, I think he's good. He's okay. I think he is. And we said, rain, no. No. Jesus said, ask what you desire. Can I tell you something? We didn't pray and ask if it was okay for the rain not to stop. We believed this was the heart of God. So we acted upon what we believed God wanted to do already. And guess what happened? It didn't rain. It did a couple of times at night. That was okay. That didn't affect us at all. It didn't in the day. Didn't affect it at all. And the lady, one of the lady doctors, I think she was the main one, very brilliant woman, very neat lady, she was freaking out and was preaching to the people. We're like, what is she saying? George had to interpret to us what she was saying. But she was saying, people, do you not realize this miracle? That these people prayed against the rains and it has not rained? She recognized it. And the people were praising God because they realized, wait a minute, you know what? This is crazy. And they remembered how we started the thing off. No rain. Many people were healed. Many people were saved. We saw a man get delivered who was demonized, hardcore. I mean, manifesting big time. You know the cool kind of stuff you see on TV? Got set free. Set free. It was a battle for a little bit. And you know what was interesting? Get sidetracked a little bit, but that's okay. It was interesting because we were at, it was the last day, the clinic, the last place we were at, hundreds of people all around. And I think it was Mike came and said, uh, CJ, there's a situation going on. And so, because we were kind of taking a break. We were just talking everything. So we go over and this man is just manifesting. And all the people are watching. We realize we got something on our hands. If we don't take care of this man, the faith of everybody in this camp is going to... So we recognize what it was. And guess who won? Jesus. And then guess what happened to the faith of the people in that area? We saw miracles and healings. 
People begin to testify of their healing. And then we're leaving. I shared this before, but for, in case some of you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we we're on our way to the airport. Joe Asher's taking us back to Kasumu and, you know, getting on the plane and everything. And, and Mike said, oh, CJ, don't forget. Remember the rain? Like, oh, yeah. Okay, rain. You can rain now. We land in Amsterdam. I get an email from Joash, and the email said, by the way, on my way home, it started raining again. Coincidence? People's lives were impacted for the king. That's what it was about. Had nothing to do with showing off. Look what we can do. Think that would happen? Probably not. But our hearts join with his heart. Abide in me. My word abides in you. Ask what you desire. You desire, and it shall be done for you. Years ago, a friend of, well, actually, he's, well, he's a friend of mine, and he's a close friend, and he happens to be my brother-in-law. And he had this thing about Walmart just like I did. And we just said, hey, Rob, you want to go to Walmart? I can't remember if he asked me or I asked him, but we ended up at Walmart. And I remember we saw, you know, we're going around, and, and by the way, if you don't know, who, no, we don't shop all the time in Walmart. Actually, we do. We shop for people. <laughs> we were looking for opportunities. We are looking for people. Reason why I do this, why I go to Walmart and go to places, because I work here at the church. The people I work with, they don't need Jesus. <laughs> what I mean by that is they're already kingdom advancers. They already, I don't have to preach the gospel and get them saved, you know. They already got it. So I don't have the opportunities at my work that you have at your work to get people saved. So I, I look for opportunities. So anyway, Rob and I went to Walmart, and we saw a man, a middle-aged man, that was in a wheelchair, one of those motorized ones. And of course, we were thinking the same thing. You see that guy over there? You think what I'm thinking? Let's do it. Let's do this. So we go over to him, introduce ourselves. Hey, how you doing? And, and just sharing, just loving on him. And ask him, hey, can we pray for you? Pray that God heals you? Get you out of that wheelchair? He's like, Absolutely. He was in there for a long time. I can't remember his circumstances, how long he was in a wheelchair, but I knew it was a long time. And he was probably in his mid to late 50s. So Rob and I begin to pray for him. We're praying and ministering to him, blessing him and everything. And we say, hey, would you like to try to walk? He said, sure. So I get one side. Rob gets the other side. We lift him up out of the wheelchair. And he starts, you know, doing that, start walking, you know. And we're, I mean, we're holding him. And as we're doing this, more and more and more, his legs are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, supposedly this man had not walked in many, many years, and he was freaking out. And he said, people who are walking, now we're Walmart, right? This isn't a, a closet somewhere. This is Walmart. And so we're walking down the aisles carrying this man, and, you know, I'm on one side, Rob's on the other side, and people are walking by looking at us like we're crazy, which it's okay. I, I agree. We are. And they're looking, and he's saying, this man saying to them, look at me, I'm walking, I'm walking. Now, from their perspective, it looks like two men dragging him across Walmart. From this man's perspective, he was getting stronger and stronger and walking. And we were praying, praying in tongues in Walmart, sorry. No, I'm not. 
praying and praying and ministering and ministering. We'd never done this before, okay? Never done this before. But we were pretty excited. This man was getting more excited, more excited. Well, so it was, and so we did this for, I don't know how long. It seemed like an eternity. It seemed like forever. So we, you know, set him back down in a wheelchair. He's sweating. And he's excited. He's like, oh, my goodness. He's just praising God, just so excited. And I realized, you know what? Hey, um, so-and-so, do you mind if we come to your place and we pray for you, you know, tomorrow or, or whenever it was? Can we come to your house and pray for you and just, just get this thing going? He's like, absolutely. So he gave me his card, had his name on it. So I call him a few days later. Hey, bro, this is CJ. Remember me? And yeah, yeah. Hey, can Rob and I come over and pray for you? Man, we're, we're just believing God for this miracle for you to get out of that wheelchair. Here's what he said. Let me ask my dad. I'm like, what? This guy's 50-something years old. And I hear him in the background. I hear this gruff voice. I hear him saying, hey, dad, can da 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 And oh, no. Not, you know, I just hear this gruff. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Anyway, needless to say, no. Dad said no. We did not get the opportunity anymore to pray for that man. That was a crazy situation. Don't understand the details. But my point is, before my thought process had changed, there's no way I'm going to drag a man across Walmart. Because my thought process has and is changing, I see an opportunity, and I believe Jesus wants to do something about it. Say, excuse me, sir, can we pray for you? Thought process is changing. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. See, when I, when I hear about tornadoes, I'm not afraid. Say, Lisa, tell me when the next storm's coming. Because I know some people who also think the same way. We speak to the storm just like Jesus spoke to the storm. And see, it's because it's not like I'm trying to be in belief. I'm trying to be in belief. I'm trying to believe that this is going to happen. My thought process is different. It's different. Are you getting that? It's different. Jesus is inviting us to partner with him to see his kingdom manifest in crazy ways that set people free. And we have to get over ourselves and saying, I don't deserve it. I've messed up too much. I've made too many mistakes. Let's stop it already. Your thousand mistakes was covered by his one act on the cross. It's been taken care of. He has so much in store for us, so much. Didn't get nearly as far as I thought, but I will continue this. I do want to finish with this verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 30. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word, such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
So if I'm reading that verse right, if I want to know how to grieve the Holy Spirit, then let unwholesome words come out of my mouth. If I let unwholesome words come out of my mouth, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. There's one place where it says grieve the Holy Spirit, and one place it says quench. So there's given one way to grieve the Holy Spirit by the words that come out of our mouth. The Bible says there's the power of life and death in the tongue. One thing that Jesus told me when he interrupted me when I was doing that project, and he said, remember that movie Inception, that is a kingdom concept? He says, I want you to do that. I want you to do that to your kids. What do you mean? He showed me Gideon, and basically, I'm calling out in them what God already placed in them. On a day-to-day basis and and a lifelong, you know, and and it is so funny because Lisa and I talk about this. When I pick my kids up from school, we pick them up from school, they have varying attitudes. They had a good day, they have a happy attitude. If they're hungry and tired, they have not-so-good attitudes. But I've learned how to affect their attitude by just words. Power of life and death in the tongue. And it starts off in the morning when my daughter, I won't tell you which one, but when my daughter, when I try to get her up early, you have to figure that out. I try to get her up, and she does not like to get up at 7 o'clock. Every morning it's the same thing. Dad, I'm tired. Me too, honey. Now get up. That's the typical. But what I started doing is I turn on the lights, and I say, hey, beautiful. I say, you're so awesome. You're going to have an amazing day. What does she do? She turns over and she smiles. This big old... And I say, come on, get up, honey. You're going to have an amazing day. Okay, daddy. When I don't do that, I get, dad, I'm tired. I can't. It's early. You know, all that kind of stuff. On the way to school. Actually, the other day she had a, a bad day because her friends didn't include her and she didn't get to play with them and so she cried because she didn't get to play with her friends. It was It was tragic. It's horrible. And then as she was going to bed, she said, Dad, I'm going to have a horrible day tomorrow because my friends may not play with me again. And man, something rose up in me. Because I know how kids can be. I can't go. I want to, but I can't go fix them. I want to go minister to them, but <laughs> come here. You know. But that's not appropriate. Plus, I get thrown in jail. But something rose up in me, and I got angry, not at the kids, but as how she was allowing her identity to be determined by these kids. And she was saying, I'm not valuable. Nobody wants to play with me, and I'm not going to have a good day tomorrow because, you know, all this. And I said, I'm not going to tell you her name. I almost slipped. I said, honey, you are amazing. You are awesome. You're going to have an amazing day tomorrow. And if those kids decide not to play with you, that's their loss because you're awesome. Guess what happened? Big old smile came on her face. I forgot, I forgot to even ask her how her day went, but I didn't hear anything negative or anything bad or anything like that. But what I've noticed, what I've noticed is fathers, I don't know why this is, but God made it so we have the most impact, the most influence in our kids' lives. And even in society, all the statistics bear out the social ills come from fatherlessness. 
And when the Holy Spirit, I'm going to close with this. When the Holy Spirit told me, he says, I want you to begin to do this inception thing with your kids. And I just begin to declare not only what I see in them, but the greatness that God sees. That they're great because, not, they're not great because they're my kids. They're great because they're his. And he lives inside of them. And they can't, they can't help but be great because the great one is inside of them. And I help them to see that. And the Lord told me, he says, you tell her how beautiful she is. See, I've never had a daughter before. Okay, this is my first one. Had a bunch of boys, one daughter. And I didn't realize this until the other day it, it, it became reality. I just began to call her beautiful. Even when she has a bad attitude and she doesn't look so beautiful, when she's not lovely, she's still beautiful. And I'm seeing how that is shaping her. Her attitude and mood will change at the drop of a hat when I speak to her. Now, I've done the, girl, you better get that attitude out of here. Now, I've done that. You know what I get? More attitude. (laughs) And then sometimes I have to deal with it in a way that helps deliver people from attitudes. (laughs) Deliverance ministry 101. But what I found as effective because I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit. He says, here's what I want you to do. Just begin to speak to them. Even when I don't see what they're called to be, Gideon was called the mighty man when he was hiding out. But he was already the mighty man. Fathers, your sons and daughters are already mighty. They're already powerful. We just need to remind them. We need to call them out. And we need to be, having, we need to be doing that with each other. That's why it grieves the Holy Spirit when I put you down. When I belittle you, because I am going anti-Holy Spirit. I'm going anti-Jesus when I put you down. But I am partnering with him when I speak out words of life. That's why I love it when I'm in places and I, you know, with people, and I be just again to call out their destiny. You are awesome. Would you stand up with me? Would the ministry team please come up front? Probably going to need all the ministry team. You know, one thing I saw, the, I kind of had a vision the other night, and I saw that up here was a, just a beautiful banquet table full of all the kind of food that you would ever dream of having, whether it's prime rib, filet mignon, I know it's time to eat, pasta, whatever it is that you love, and with our glorified bodies, it doesn't hurt us, but it's like this banqueting table full of food. And we're all hungry. And then when, when the dinner bell is rung, we don't come and partake for whatever reason. Well, I don't deserve it. I appreciate what Caleb shared on his testimony video. When, when God was inviting him for healing, he says, but I don't deserve it. And there's so many of us that feel the same way. It has nothing to do with what you've done or haven't done. And some people, some of you people are so awesome, you're so precious, and you're so giving and compassionate that you had the mindset, well, I don't want to take away from others, so I'm going to let others eat from the table. Do you realize that when someone grabs a piece of prime rib off this table, another one appears immediately? <laughs> Do you realize that his supply is, un, is, is limitless? There's no limit to it. So we're not taking, if I go up and get prayed for, I'm not taking from somebody else. There's plenty, and there's leftovers. 
That's right. We're talking about daddy. So I want to encourage you, whatever you have need of, physical, emotional, the banqueting table is open. And I just encourage you, please, I don't want to try to coerce you. I don't want to force you. And I hope you hear, don't hear that in my heart. But I just want to encourage you to partake, partake of. Just let him bless you. Let him love on you. And if you think, well, I don't necessarily have a physical need, come get some anyway. So as soon as I dismiss, I'm going to invite you to come up and just receive from the Father. Amen? Father, we love you so much. You're so awesome. You're so amazing. You're so good. And we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you are inviting us into partnership. And we say yes. We say yes. We will not hide behind the mistakes any longer. Not the mistakes. We will not hide behind excuses. We will not hide behind the stuff or the reasoning We put that stuff aside and we say, yes, Jesus, you paid for it. I'm going to agree with you. And we're going to partner with you and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Father, we thank you that your presence is here today and you desire to touch and heal your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.